So Ruth and I have been married for 39 years, uh, but some of you may not know this. We actually had a prenup agreement, prenuptial agreement, yeah. Uh, so here's how it went down. I, I was dating Ruth in college and God had called me clearly to pastoral ministry. And so we're getting closer and we're talking about marriage and so forth. And I said, one thing you gotta know, Ruth, though, going into this, this has gotta be our agreement, that if you marry me, I am going to be a pastor, so that means you're going to be a pastor's wife. Just understand that's part of the agreement. And then she said, well, just know this about me. If you marry me, no pets, no pets. And I said, wow, I think I got the easy end of this deal, you know. And so we, we had that kind of agreement and we said, all right, we're, we're going to do this together. And we had a lot of other things we discussed, but those were two fun things that we kind of discussed together. And we said, let's embrace this. Let's move forward. And we've been having fun for 39 years. And guys, we are so pumped because we're coming up to that 39th anniversary. Plus we're coming up to the birth of our second grandchild. Can't wait for her to get here. All right. So guys, I also learned something new about Ruth uh, this week. And those of you who maybe don't know her, you know, we've talked about our, our, our journey through her cancer and she had to have her, uh, this tumor and bone cancer and her right pelvis removed and she's been recovering. She's cancer free two and a half years later. And a lot of you might not know this, that Ruth um, was a gymnast in high school. And somehow we got talking the other night about that. And I said, yeah, before, even when she, you know, like, few years back, two and a half years back, before all the cancer surgery and everything, I said, Ruth, you know, you used to be able to put your, your foot behind your head. Wow. And she said, yeah, I can still put my foot behind my head now. I've regained my flexibility. I said, you, are you serious? And here's photographic evidence of Ruth, my wife, putting her foot behind her head. And uh, what, what, wow, you learn something new every day and you never stop growing. Let's dive into this book of Revelation and let's keep growing. Let's learn something new and let's learn about today. We're going to talk about God's calling on our life. And just as he called Ruth and I together, he's called us to walk with him together. And all of you, wherever you are in life, for you to walk and, and Jesus is calling you to embrace his calling on your life. So let's, let's talk about that. And hopefully you have one of the scripture journals. You open up the book of Revelation. We're right there in chapter one. We're making our headway through it. All right, so let's come now. We continue on. And in this passage, John the apostle, who we believe it's the apostle John who wrote this, uh, this letter uh, and this apocalypse, apocalypse and this uh, prophecy, um, gets a calling to actually write down what he receives from God in a series of visions that we're going to come to starting next weekend. All right, let's look at it. Verse, uh, we'll just read the whole passage we're going to cover today. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I read that to Ruth uh, this week and she said, and so it begins. 
And so it begins. And that's really where we're just on the edge of now this revelation of what God is going to give to John. This was the moment we just read when the calling to write down the revelation actually took place. The commission to write it down so those seven churches and all of those who were to follow in the footsteps of Jesus would be able to read and access and be blessed by. And it's more than just a call to John. It is also a call to the seven churches. And it is a call to us to follow in Jesus. So in this passage, we're going to unpack our calling and God is going to give us our calling and our amazing future. Here's the main point I wanna give you today for that calling that you are to embrace. And that is you belong to a glorious movement of God's people. This is what really it's about, that you belong You belong to this incredible movement called the church that Jesus has formed, that the Holy Spirit has filled, and God the Father is protecting and watching over. And you belong to this glorious church and this movement of God's people, not an institution, but a movement of people who believed in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us and believed that he rose from the grave and who believed that he's coming again. So we belong to that. And that that has to be the big picture. Because if we enter into the book of Revelation, it's easy for us to get lost in the details of like all the little things or just be overwhelmed by the magnitude of it. And like, I I can't possibly do this. It's too much. And in that regard, I think our our walking into the book of Revelation is a lot like uh, the movie Hoosiers. And it's about a small town, Indiana school back in the 50s who in a tournament, the March Madness of their day, we're playing a giant high school, another high school in Indiana for the state championship. And they're just a little tiny school of 50 some people. And they're playing this incredible big school and they walk into a place that still exists, Hinkle Field House, and they can be awed by how big it is, but they get a different perspective from their coach. Check it out. What is it? 15 feet. 15 feet. Strap, put Ollie on your shoulders. Measure this uh, from the rim. Buddy? How far? 10 feet. 10 feet. I think you'll find it's the exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> okay, let's get dressed for practice.
it is big. And the book of Revelation is big too. But let's not be over just blown away like we can't understand it. And let's also not worry about all the details. I mean, they could have, we could have asked at the beginning of this whole, you know, uh, NCAA March Madness, somebody could have said, okay, am I, like we ask about sometimes in the book of Revelation, am I going to be um, playing, shooting a free throw for the national championship in the last second of the game with everything on the line, is that gonna happen to me? Am I gonna be in that moment? Step back, there's a bigger calling. You belong to this incredible movement, this glorious movement of God's people. And let's embrace that calling and not get lost in all the, the details of, of you know, this or that or the timing or the, you know, the charts and the, details. Let's step back and just take it in. And we're, we're in this incredible journey with the incredible movement of God. So let's keep that in mind. By the way, it's written to seven churches. And just a reminder, uh, here's kind of where John received the visions. This is the Mediterranean Sea. So over here is Italy, Greece, Turkey, seven churches. Here's where he's on this island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And he, he sends a message to the seven churches that are in this area that we just read. So they're just regular folks. They love Jesus. They're a tiny minority. They are being transformed by Jesus, but they're also having their struggles. And they're, they're having their pressures. They're having spiritual temptations. They're having pressures from culture. They're having persecution. So the message that he wants to bring is this message of hope and encouragement. And that's what we want it to be for you today. So let's, let's dive in. And we are part of this incredible movement called the church and this movement of God. What can we learn from that? Verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction kingdom and endurance there in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John wishes he were still in Ephesus, which is where he likely came from. He had spent time in Ephesus, leading in Ephesus, leading the gospel movement there. But he has been banished by the emperor, most likely, not certain, but most likely Domitian around the year 94, 95 AD, possibly earlier, possibly during Nero's time, but I think more likely during Domitian's time. And he wants to be in Ephesus and share with the, with the believers there that, and, and the other seven churches who are who are undergoing hardships and difficulty. He aches because he can't be with them. Instead, he's been banished. He's been exiled as kind of an enemy of the state and said, we don't want you here anymore. And so Domitian, likely the emperor, has banished him to Patmos as a punishment. And this is where they sent prisoners. Uh, they sent people that they didn't want to influence others. They sent them where they could not do any more, have any more influence. And so that's what John is sent. And here's the first principle I'm going to give to you is to, we embrace our calling by, we, we, we recognize that we share in this extraordinary partnership. He says, I'm your brother here. We're brothers and sisters. He didn't make a high claim of being somebody special. He just says, we're brothers here, brothers and sisters. And he says, but I'm your partner. And he gave this extraordinary description of the partnership that they had and that we have in Jesus. It's a partnership of the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. That's an unusual partnership. Affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. Let's just, the word partnership means to have a common experience, a sense of sharing or belonging in something. And we have something in common that we share together, and that is the affliction, 
the kingdom and the endurance that are in Jesus. So let's unpack each one of these. Here's the Isle of the Patmos, beautiful island that he was exiled on. And first let's come to the partnerships that we have in the affliction. The word actually is translated in most places as tribulation. Uh, we, are, we have a partnership in the tribulation, in the suffering, in the uh, trouble, trouble, difficulties. This is something that all Christians experience. Don't worry about you know, what we'll get to later in the book of Revelation, but this is common to the experience of every Christian, that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus are going to face difficulty, trouble, suffering, tribulation, affliction, hardships. Why? Because we're in Jesus. What did Jesus experience? We're his followers. He said, take up your cross and follow me. The suffering that Jesus endured, we endure. The loneliness that he had at times. The rejection. The hatred that people had for him irrationally. The betrayal that he uh, had from some of his closest followers. The misunderstanding he often experienced when he was trying to share uh, the truth with, with others. The pain, the physical pain, the spiritual pain of the cross for our, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and all the sufferings and hardships that went with us. The humiliation of it all. The hatred he endured. The heartbreak. It's all a part of being a follower of Jesus. And we need to hear that. Because I think there's a lot of people that are being told, uh, kind of sold a bill of goods, that, you know, come to Jesus and your life will be great. You know, just health, wealth, prosperity, everything. It's awesome. It's just not true. I mean, yes, there are incredible blessings. This book started by saying you're going to be blessed. But we need to also understand that in this life, Jesus said, we will have tribulation. We will have trouble. We will have affliction. It will be hard. In fact, Paul said in the last book we studied, Acts, he said, we have to go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. So we're going to experience a lot of things before we come into the full uh, experience of God's kingdom. But then he goes on beyond that to say, we're not only experiencing the affliction, but also the kingdom. And this is, this is like the, yeah, God's with us though. In the midst of all the trouble, he, the kingdom is there. We experience the kingdom. We are a kingdom. So we get to experience the presence of Jesus, the reign of Jesus, the power of Jesus. Jesus shows up in our lives. The Holy Spirit is living within us. And so we experience the kingdom reign of Jesus in our hearts and we get to be his ambassadors in this incredible kingdom. We get to see God answer prayer. We get to see God move in amazing ways. We get to see God change hearts. We get to be part of the renewal of all things that God is planning. So we're in this kingdom and that's, we're jazzed about that. Yeah, there's affliction, but there's also we're partners in the kingdom. And then he says, and we're partners in the endurance, the endurance. And that is, yes, with that affliction and with that kingdom, we learn endurance. We learn to patiently persevere, not gritting our teeth and just all endure this, but instead we learn um, how, to, how to suffer well, how to love well, how to endure the hardships and difficulties, and also how to endure when culture is, is pressuring us in so many di different ways. Overcoming temptations that come our way that Satan would have trip us up with. Keeping our values in the midst of a culture that is pressing in to cause us to want to deny all of them. And then a faithfulness to God no matter what. This is our extraordinary partnership. Affliction, kingdom, and endurance. And they all connect together. And it's just kind of an endless cycle that we experience in the Christian life. 
We experience suffering and hardships, but then we learn that Jesus, that God shows up and he's a king. And then we learn to be a little stronger, be a little braver, be a little uh, tougher through it all, and also learn to be more loving and compassionate. And then sometimes we suffer and, and on it goes. It's just part of the Christian life. I just needed to remind us all of that because this is a good lens. This affliction, kingdom, endurance is a good lens for us to look at the entire book of Revelation and also our entire lives. I just want to update you on one thing, guys. Uh, so many of you uh, have generously given to help uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and just ordinary folks um, in the nation of Ukraine. Uh, Valley Church gave a very, through your generosity, a very uh, kind gift to, uh, to the refugee effort in Ukraine uh, through Reach Global, who's on the ground with those $40,000 making a difference. And uh, we got a note from uh, someone, uh, the, one of the leaders there, and he sat down with one of the people who had who had been able to get out of Ukraine and just said, tell me your story. And I can't read the whole thing to you because it would take a long time. But I just want to read a few excerpts from, the, he said, tell me your story. It was two women who had just arrived in Poland from uh, Mirapol, Pol, Ukraine. Tell me your story. And these uh, two women told the story and they said, uh, just a few excerpts from their letter, from their conversation. Uh, the first week, the Russians sh shot near the town, and on the second week, they're shooting up the entire town. Every building was targeted. On March 2nd, that's a few weeks ago, we ran out of water, electricity went off and lost cell and internet. Two more days, uh, natural gas is lost. People go into the street, prepare fires, cook in the street. Second week, people also left their apartments and moved to the basements of the buildings. The big shops where you could buy food were all bombed and destroyed at the very beginning. Uh, there was a building near the church where many people lived one morning. The Russians sent a bomb and destroyed the building, and the only thing left was a giant crater in the ground. Three weeks into the war, all the town is destroyed, all buildings destroyed, lots of bodies of soldiers on the streets, and no one to bury them. Some people buried some of the men on the street. Mom is crying now because she left her city in Maripol and doesn't know what happened to her. Two weeks, we stayed in the basement. Um, there were six people from their family in the basement. And, and on and on it goes. It's just really hard to read. Uh, we then decided to leave. So the, you remember I was telling you about those people staying in the basement of the church, just hiding out. There's people all over the place that this was their experience. We then decided to leave. There was a corridor that was a safe passage and we were able to leave the city on March 14th. So a few weeks ago, we left. Um, and they just said, arriving in Poland, they said, we have relatives in, in Russia. They don't believe us. That's hard. In Maripol, in the center of the city, in the theater with more than 1,000 people were in the building, and they wrote, children on the roof around their building. They did this because when people fly over, they don't bomb buildings because of children. But the soldiers don't listen and they bomb anyway. Our family lost our house, our car, and our work. We don't know what to expect from this life because we left all of our life back in our home city. We are very worried about our future. Our best wish and prayer is that the war stops. We did not deserve this. And then she says, God took us from this hell and we prayed to God and we pray that he will provide for us in the future. And then she says, thank God.
Thank God. What an incredible thing to read and what an incredible perspective to have. I mean, that's, these are our brothers and sisters. These are fellow human beings made in the image of God. And they, especially those who are followers of Jesus, they know what it means to, to partner with Jesus in the affliction, the kingdom, and the endurance. And I continue to ask you to lift them up in your prayers and to end this and, and for us to have our hearts filled with compassion and as we have generosity. Um, oftentimes in Western cultures, we, we don't completely understand some of the persecution and difficulties that many of our brothers and sisters around the globe experience. And so it's good when we read these words to reflect on people that are really going through hardships. Sometimes, you know, and I'm grateful, extremely grateful for living where we do. And I'm extremely grateful for living in the country that we do. Um, but if we're, if we're not careful, I think sometimes even as parents or grandparents, we can think that somehow we're gonna just bubble wrap our kids and, uh, and we're just gonna provide this kind of Disney experience for them and somehow that they can follow Jesus and um, you know, they're never gonna experience any kind of affliction or, or kingdom or endurance. But that's, that's the path for all of us guys. And I'm grateful that we don't experience some of the incredible hardships that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ do. But we need to understand that, that that's part of our calling too, to empathize with them, to support them, to pray for them, but also to realize that that's part of our calling. And, and we're going to suffer different ways, in, 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 in different pressures to conform, in different hardships that we may experience. But it is a part of our partnership in the gospel. And... Um, the interesting thing is that, you know, the Roman Empire really promised to the people of their day, the Roman Empire promised peace and they delivered brutality. Whereas the kingdom of Jesus promises trouble, but delivers ultimately peace and joy and love and a kingdom that will never end. So just remember that when the pressure is turned up and the tyranny of tolerance presses in on us in our culture, Let's not wilt. Let's have the confidence to know what we believe, why we believe it, and to follow Jesus and to have that kind of endurance so that we can experience the reign of God in our hearts. I want to come to verse 9 now. Uh, he says, Your brother, partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So, uh, John has been exiled. This is almost certainly a banishment because he was a follower of, of Jesus. Um, John was a very prominent leader, obviously. He, uh, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and often there was a spreading now in his day uh, this uh, pressure to worship the emperor as God. Many emperors had kind of claimed or after their deaths were uh, proclaimed to be deity. But Domitian uh, actually took it another step. He says, I want to be addressed as Lord and God. He had this printed on coins uh, or stamped on coins. And so there was an incredible pressure now to show uh, homage and worship to the emperor. And there were, there were guilds and work groups and all sorts of communities that they're, the Christians who said, this is not who we worship, felt intense pressure. And if they refused to worship, they were viewed as disloyal and dangerous. And so uh, 
And so John's a leader of this group of people that are now viewed as disloyal uh, and they're viewed as dangerous and they're viewed as sometimes they're called haters of the human race because they wouldn't go along with all the values that were being propagated in a corrupt Roman Empire. And this was a threat to Domitian. And eventually word got to him about this leader, John. He's the last of the apostles. And he decides, I'm not going to execute him, but I am going to banish him. And most likely around the year uh, 94, in the 14th year of Domitian, uh, he exiled or banished uh, John the Apostle to Patmos. Um, Now, he's an elderly man in his 80s or even 90s. It's unlikely that John was sentenced to hard labor or to work in the mines or to be forced into a complete prison environment. But instead, um, the, the persecution was more the isolation of the banishment, the separation from the people he loved and the fact that you're alone on an island. There's, a, there's some people there, but you're all alone and you're not allowed to mix with people. And so this is what he was experiencing. That was his tribulation. And he's, he's partnering with them in that. Domitian was a really nasty guy. And, and Patmos was a far off place. I mean, it's impossible to escape from there. So he is there. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background of the actual place where tradition has it and, and some reliable history has it that John actually uh, received the revelation of God, I'd lo- love for you to check out this video that's available on YouTube from Drive Through History and Dave Stotts. Check it out. About halfway up this mountain in this unassuming place is the Cave of the Apocalypse. This structure covers a cave where, according to early church tradition, is the place where John spent much of his time here at Patmos in exile. The cave is also where John received a series of special visions which became the book of Revelation, the final book in the New Testament. Inside is the traditional cave where many believe that John received the visions that comprise the book of Revelation. Now, the cave was reestablished in 1088 when a monk named Christodoulos received special permission by the Byzantine emperor to transform the pilgrimage site into a sacred place for the Orthodox Church. Tradition maintains that these three fissures in the rock represent the Holy Trinity of God. The book of Revelation is considered the last book in the New Testament. It's filled with mysteries and metaphors, many of which are related to future events. Its imagery and the predictions are sometimes rather strange. Scholars are often in disagreement as to what they mean or when they'll take place. Since all of that is a little above my pay grade, I think I'll stick to the basics. Much of the book of Revelation is the culmination of biblical prophecies about end times, beginning with the Hebrew scriptures and continuing through the Gospels. It's what we call apocalyptic literature with the same kind of end of days language that we often see in Old Testament books such as Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Zechariah. Currently, the oldest known manuscript of Revelation is called P98, a fragment found in Egypt that dates to about 150 AD. 
that places this copy of Revelation just over 50 years after John's original composition on Patmos. So he's on Patmos, he's receiving this, going to receive this revelation, but he's there because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's in exile. Here's the second principle. Guys, we are all influential exiles. Um, we have a purpose, and sometimes we may feel like, I'm so out of place here, I don't belong here. Uh, Peter calls us strangers, sojourners. Uh, we're scattered to all these different places where we can make a difference. So, yes, sometimes we feel like, you know, we don't belong, and that's true. We, we don't belong in this world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. But God has placed us, Jesus said, we're the salt of the earth to make a difference. And so he, he had John there for a purpose to receive this revelation. And for all of us, he has a reason for where we are. If you're here, if I'm here, then I'm here supposed to influence here until God's got something else for me. That's the purpose you have. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We are all to be influential exiles. Yeah, we don't fit sometimes, but we're still to be people of influence. And guys, I just want to encourage you to make that part of, of your purpose and embrace that part of your calling. Years ago, uh, there was a letter uh, to a guy named Diognetus, and uh, it dates back to the second century AD. It's from a Christian. And it answers the question, what is a Christian? This anonymous writer describes of a strange people who are in the world, but not of the world. And I quote, Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. Every country is to them as their native country, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death, and yet they gain life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are dishonored, yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened, and yet they are cleared. They are mocked, and they bless in return. They are treated outrageously, and they behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. That is what a Christian is. We need to embrace that sort of calling. We are influential exiles. But let's keep going. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet. So he's not, he's ready to receive something now and God speaks to him. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And we'll get to the content of that next week. Here's a few notes I take just from this little verse. First, third, we worship in the Spirit. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, sometimes when we hear in the Spirit, we think, that's kind of weird. Like, I was in the Spirit. It's like some kind of Twilight Zone deal. Dude, I was in this kind of weird. Now, I, I, guys, I just think he was following Jesus. 
he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, if I'm in exile, I can be a grump, somebody said. But if in, I'm in the Spirit on the Lord's day, it changes everything. He was in the Spirit. It had been his experiential reality of knowing and sensing the filling of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he had joy and peace and love because of that. And this should be a normal Christian experience. We worship together in the Spirit. Now that looks different for different people and different movements. I, I get it. But ultimately, worshiping in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and our lives, not in our flesh, but in the Spirit, yielding to where He's leading us, to obedience and to joy and to love, walking in step with the Holy Spirit and speaking in the Holy Spirit in ways that honors God and builds up and edifies others. That's what we do. And when we come together, there's something about the world is going crazy, but when we come together on the Lord's Day, which was the only reference here, but it is Sunday, which became the Lord's Day because of the day of resurrection. That's when Christians gathered for worship. Um, they just were like, this is fuel for a tank. He was having this time with God, probably by himself, but he was worshiping in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And yes, we're to do that on the Lord's Day, but not just on the Lord's Day, every day, walking in the Spirit, worshiping in the Spirit. And then he says, God spoke to him with a voice like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Here we, we embrace our calling by understanding that we are people, principle four, we are people of the book. The scroll that he was to write on was pieces of papyrus and parchment sewn together and rolled up on a spindle, long spindle. And it would eventually contain everything that we now have for us as the book of Revelation. Christianity is, is an amazing movement because it's based on what we have received from God. God has spoken in the person of Jesus Christ ultimately. He is the living word of God. But God has also blessed us with his written revelation where we are people of the book. In fact, it's interesting. The first, the very, one of the first things that a Muslim child are taught about Christians is often the one of the last things that Christians learn about themselves. They are taught that Christians are people of the book. So we love Jesus and we walk in the Spirit, and we know God is Father, and He reveals these things to us in the Scriptures. And He revealed them to John, and we're reading it now. We're holding in our hands the Word of God. I mean, this is actually God's Word. He has, he has humbled, and He has, he has, he has uh, in, 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 uh, take, given this communication to us in this humble form that we can access. We can read it ourselves. And so God has spoken. Let's treasure that, that we're people of the book. Let's embrace that calling. He says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Last principle of today. Embracing our calling means we follow Jesus in a challenging culture. It's tough sometimes. It was really tough for them. Yeah, guys. Um, and we're going to talk more about... Um, 
on Monday nights. From select Monday nights, we're talking about digging deeper. We had a great turn at our last one on, on last Monday, uh, and we're going to have another one on Monday, April the 4th, 6.30 in the chapel. Uh, those are also available online, but it's called Digging Deeper uh, in Revelation. And this particular Monday, we're going to look at um, Christianity and culture and, and how we can learn from the book of Revelation how uh, what cultural pressures there were and how we can walk in Christ. A lot of, a lot of interesting and incredible stuff there, digging deeper. But uh, there's challenges that they faced. And I want to give you just very quickly as we kind of land this, the five, uh, the five challenges that they faced. And they're, they're the ones we're going to look at in the weeks to come. The five challenges they faced, there are five words I want to give to you. Love, truth, worship, ethics, hardship. Love, truth, worship, ethics, and hardship. The first challenge is to keep their first love. To not be taken away from their first love for God and for others with distractions or with apathy or becoming harsh in, in the way that we treat other people or dry in our relationship with God. Keeping our first love. Second is truth. There's so much falsehood and even false teaching that circulates. This has been the plague of the church for 2,000 years. We have to center our truths on Jesus and the Word of God and hold fast to the truth. Uh, that's another challenge that they faced and that we faced. A third challenge is worship. And that is there is a great uh, temptation and pressure to embrace the cultural uh, values and priorities above God himself. And like they were called to worship the emperor, we can be called to do things that we know violate of what God is about, and we can place the prizes of culture and the temptations of culture and the values of our culture around us and pursue those above God himself, to look for significance in things other than our relationship with God. So that's idolatry. Uh, he calls us to worship. Fourthly, to, to ethics. There was a great pressure for them to, to commit sexual immorality. It was all around them. To, to give themselves over to anger that was extremely common, to greed, to lust, all those things that just were toxins and pollutants in their world are, are still with us today. We're going to learn about those. But it's, we follow Jesus in a challenging culture. And la last one is hardship. Um, sometimes it's really hard to be a follower of Jesus. And sometimes there's even persecution, there's pressure, there's suffering, and to continue to embrace him. But the good news is, as we embrace that calling, God is there for us. And he promises, I want to help you experience the kingdom. Um, next week is Palm Sunday. And we're going to celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And in the book of Revelation, we're going to see the triumphant vision of Jesus who is ruling and reigning and great encouragement to us. But as we close, I just, I want to talk to you, just close with this. Um, there's, a, there's a, a historian called Suetonius from the ancient world that tells us that that emperor, Domitian, uh, quote, became an object of terror and hatred to everyone. But he was overthrown at last by conspiracy of his friends and favorite freedmen, to which his wife was also privy. So in the end, he was done in by his own wife and by people that... Um, that turned against him, and he died uh, in great humiliation. Domitian tried to make, take unto himself titles that rightly belonged to Jesus, Lord and God. And guys, no matter how successful 
The enemies of God may seem in the short term. The book of Revelation shows us how things really, really are. One writer writes, Domitian, by worldly standards, had everything. He sought to keep his life and make himself God. But in the end, he lost everything, betrayed even by his wife and friends. Jesus, by worldly standards, had nothing and lost everything when he laid down his life on the cross for his friends. But paradoxically, he gained everything, vindicated by his father, who raised him from the dead by the power of the Spirit and gave him the name that is above every name. And today, we read of a man who was faithful to Jesus, and because of that, he was banished to a place called Patmos, where Domitian believed he would silence him, where he would stop him, where he would not be able to fulfill his calling. And all it did really was to give our almighty God a quiet place to reveal to him truths that billions and billions of people would hear and would be transformed for 2,000 years and running. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for this word, this powerful word in the book of Revelation. Speak to hearts. Those who perhaps haven't crossed that line of faith, draw them to yourself. Help them to trust in Jesus. And for all of us, may we learn to embrace the calling. Challenging at times, but glorious. We belong to this movement of God in this world. Help us to hold our heads high and to find joy in following you, Lord Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. God bless y'all. You have a great week.